I have not heard heard the phrase "tuck into at." Um, that, that, <laughs> that's un-American. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region; no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. I want to you Hello, everybody. Hey. This is Recotopia episode 40. Wow. Uh, my name is Chris Atkinson. And I'm Jeremy Scott. Yes, yes. Today's uh, big recommend is going to be Eep Man uh from 2008 uh can't wait to get into that mm-hmm. and uh chat is going although mm-hmm. to admittedly seems kind of sparse today i don't know if it's a thanksgiving thing or what but just wait till maybe next they week. just maybe they just hate us i um, think it's probably just a sleepy day could be could be uh, but, uh, maybe, maybe it's just uh, slow to trickle in anyway, but, uh, glad, uh, for those of you who are still here or who, who are you here, uh, to, uh, join us today on a Tuesday talking movies and, uh, commenting. And now it's really starting to explode. I think it's, it I think it was, they just needed to hear our voices. Jeremy. Yep. Yep. Uh, do you have any, uh, small recommends? It's no big deal. <laughs> It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I do. I've got a couple I'm excited about. Um, There's a new show on HBO Max. It's a cooking reality show called The Big Brunch. Mm. And there are three episodes out currently. uh, And the new ones will come out every Thursday. I think there are 10 episodes because there are 10 contestants. Um, This is created by and hosted by Dan Levy, um, Mm. one of the creators and stars of Schitt's Creek son of Eugene Levy. Um, And this is more in the vein of the Great British Bake Off or MasterChef Kids in that it's a very supportive environment. The contestants Mm. are all supporting each other. They help carry each other's dishes to the judges. Uh, They hug each other frequently. Um, The judges can be direct. This lacks enough flavor, but they're super supportive uh, and they're always giving feedback that's constructive. Like, you need mm-hmm. to do more of this next time. And so the show is broken down <clears throat> into two segments, uh, an appetizer brunch thing and a main brunch thing. And each episode has a theme. So, like, I think the most recent episode, episode three, is, like, the hangover brunch. Um, and one of them's, like, the diner brunch. Um, <clears throat> and the first one was the you brunch. So the first challenge, the appetizer, you know, what first lit your fuse as a food person, make us something like that. And then the second challenge was, where are you going in the future? Uh, you know, because the extra cool thing about this show is they handpicked every contestant and they all have these like super noble endeavors. Like one guy um, got caught up with some crime when he was a teenager, did a little bit of time and then decided to become a chef and then opened a school for kids that are in the juvenile system where he teaches them how to cook. Another person um, wants to do like a vegan cookbook and show that vegan food can actually be tasty. Um, Many of them have nonprofits with various goals. um, It's just, it's really a great way to hook you 
into these people. Whereas top chef, they're just all badass chefs that want to win the money and open their own restaurant. And that's mm-hmm. fun. That's my favorite food show for now. But I like, I feel like knowing each person's story and what they're trying to achieve in their culinary journey endears uh, mm-hmm. them more to me uh, and to each other. And I think that's why it's such a supportive environment. Um, and I'm loving the hell out of it. I ripped through those first three episodes uh, two days ago uh, and wished the rest were done. So it's called The Big Brunch. If you like cooking reality shows, it's on HBO Max. Check it out there. Nice. Man, like, it, I feel like, man, there's so much stuff that's just passing me by on all of these streaming services and everything. I mean, I, I, I know that's the, the typical old man talk this, these days, but my God, man, it's just like, it's like, I, I've never heard of this. I have HBO Max, but I've never heard of this. And, 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 you know, there's all these shows and it's like, I think we're at a point now where there's so much content out there. Of course, there's going to be some like great ones that, that hit too, but we have to find those. We got to know what our time, uh, what to use our time on and everything. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, so that's what I said. I don't feel like I'm, I don't have that fear of missing out type of thing. The FOMO as the kids say. Right. Because there's so much you're missing out on. You will never catch up to all of it. You'll so never catch up. has to make choices. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You just have to make peace with it. Uh, I went to the theaters, uh, last Ooh. week Ooh. and, um, I saw the Banshees of Inishirin and I walked into this movie, not knowing a thing about it. I had oh. heard the title before, but I did not, I knew that it was the new Martin McDonough movie. Uh, but, and I've, and I've liked almost everything he's done previously like mm. all, look at his filmography we don't talk about this dude enough probably mm-hmm. um uh previous uh movie he made with brendan gleason and colin farrell called in bruges which is really good uh and uh and this is their sort of their re-team up and uh it's this is an unusual movie and it's not because it's weird or quirky or anything like that but it starts off with uh, Colin Farrell going to his buddy Brendan Gleeson's house. Brendan Gleeson lives; they live on this island off of Ireland, and uh, and uh, which I guess is called Inishirin. Um, and uh, they he's way off in the middle of the country, and I can't, I guess this is I think this is like early twentieth century or whatever. There's a civil war going on. There's all sorts of stuff happening. Uh, sorry, I don't know the whole history there, but um, but. He goes by his buddy's house and he's like, you know, it's basically like, this is what we do all the time. Basically, he's like, hey, uh, he raps on the door. Hey, I'm going to uh, meet you at uh, the bar later at two o'clock. And he doesn't answer. Brendan Gleeson doesn't answer. And he's like, well, uh, what's going on? And he, does, Brendan Gleeson just doesn't answer him no matter what he asks. He's like, well, I'll go to the bar and I'll get you, I'll get you a pint and you can join me later or whatever. And he comes back to his wife, played by Carrie Condon, who you may recognize from Better Call Saul um uh who plays uh mike ehrman trout's daughter um the uh he goes back to his wife and he's like yeah i went to went to this guy's house and he didn't even answer me i just like he I just didn't didn't say a word to me i was doing the normal thing where we go out to the bar and he just didn't say anything and she's like well maybe she maybe he doesn't like you anymore or whatever like really <laughs> funny and he goes huh, weird and so like the whole like first 20 or 30 minutes uh, Brendan Gleeson refuses to talk to Colin Farrell and finally it gets down to the point where it gets a, hits sort of a breaking point where Brendan Gleeson just says, I just don't want your company anymore. 
just didn't want this. And this is people who probably been friends for years and, and no explanation. Brendan Gleason's just like, nah, just don't want to hang out with you anymore. <laughs> so that's obviously not enough for Colin Farrell. He's got to figure out why. And there's sort of this, like, there's this tension that's always building throughout where he's like trying to, uh, trying, he, he's trying way too hard to be friends with him again, but he can't figure out what it is he needs to do. There's some points where he makes some headway and he's like, well, I'll just be like this all the time now. And he'll want to be around me and, and nothing works because Brendan Gleason is a man of his word. <laughs> he says, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. He means it. And there's even a point where he says, if you come by my house again, I will cut off a finger, uh, my own finger, every time you do that, and 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 you just just try me, and so you kind of forget about this, and Colin Farrell goes and visits him for some reason, out of nowhere, and once again makes his plea and like wonders what the hell he did wrong and all this, and uh and and Brendan Gleeson says, why did you come out here, why did you come out here, before you know it, later on in the movie. Brendan Gleeson comes up to Colin Farrell's house and you hear this sound and he walks off. Colin Farrell walks out and there's a finger sitting there on the, on the front door stuff. And, uh, and so like, yeah, it, 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 it's just a fascinating movie about friendship and why, why certain people aren't friends anymore. And, Hmm. Could you possibly accept it if somebody just ghosted you essentially uh, like this? Um, This is a like great acting performance from uh, the three made the three principals here, Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, Carrie Condon, who we haven't gotten to see very much of. We've seen, I saw her in Better Call Saul and maybe a couple of other things. uh, And I've never been able to see like the range of acting she's able to do. And then this is, she's, right in this she plays colin farrell's actually i said wife she's his sister Hmm. but that's sort of like how it how it starts off you feel like oh it's his wife but no it's just she's his sister probably Hmm. already been corrected in the comments somewhere on this but uh, (laughs) anyway she's really she's really uh she's really good and this movie is fascinating and great Hmm. um uh i i can't recommend this enough this is a this is a big small recommend so excellent excellent Mm -hmm. i already had this on my radar i saw the trailer um, I love in Bruges. There's a clip of these two, Colin Farrell um, and the other guy, um, <laughs> uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, on one yeah. of the late night talk shows. And they just get into the, they're clearly good friends in real life. And they just mm-hmm. get into this super Irish back and forth. And they go for like 90 seconds, making themselves crack up. And mm-hmm. the host, I don't even remember, they all run together for me. The host is just kind of like, what's going on here? It's like, yeah. I completely <laughs> lost control of this. Uh, I love that their friendship in real life creates great friendship tension in these movies. So uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see it. Um, yeah. I also have a, a pretty huge small recommend, and this is also a preview because I promise you one day in the future, this movie will be a big recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't seen it in maybe eight or nine years. 1973's The Sting. Oh, um, yeah. And this is just one of the best con movies of all time. Um, It's uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman um, and the same director uh, from uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, George Warren. And um, 
Robert Redford plays this um, kind of low mid-level con guy. Uh, and basically he and his partners get caught, uh, but his face is not known. Uh, and one of his partners is killed. Um, and they basically were ripping off this big time notorious gangster. So he takes off and goes to Chicago to try and run. And the gangster hears that that guy's gone to Chicago. So he goes to Chicago. Robert Redford has heard of Paul Newman, uh, his character, because of uh, the partner that died, had worked with him in the past. So he looks him up and they decide to con the big gangster that's coming to town. Uh, and it's hilarious to me that this gangster is both simultaneously plotting with Robert Redford to take down <laughs> Paul Newman and trying to have that same person killed because he doesn't know that that's also Hooker, the guy he's after. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically pretty straightforward con, actually. They uh, have a guy that holds up the race results at Western Union for just long enough, make a phone call, tell somebody who won, they walk across the street, place a bet, uh, and you show this proof of concept a couple of times, and then you get this big-time gangster to put a bunch of money down, uh, and you take it. And uh, <clears throat> what I love about this movie is that it doesn't tell you everything, but the things it doesn't tell you aren't exactly tough to figure out. Yeah. Like, there's some tension in the story on screen between Newman and Redford's characters that is completely for show. Uh, and I you, the whole time you kind of know that, even though you're not 100% sure, it leaves just enough doubt. Mm -hmm. um, it also plays with the identity of this assassin that's been called in to take him up. And uh, I just think it's a very, very straightforward but classic example of a heist movie a con movie uh and we're gonna tear into it one day in the future because i know chris loves yeah. this movie too yeah yeah i do uh uh robert shaw's in this one robert shaw great great bad bad guy in a lot of movies of course jaws and everything's like that he's the bad guy in jaws too i don't know if you <laughs> um but no i love the sting too the sting is great and robert shaw actually ties into something later that happens in this episode so oh my goodness um uh but uh yeah i love this and i can't i yeah i i if this is ever a big recommend what a what a great uh uh weekend that's gonna be watching that movie and looking stuff up on it and looking at all the history and yeah and uh things like that so uh i have another small recommend i actually watched this about a month or so ago during all of our horror uh, stuff. Um, I bought this, uh, movie, uh, studio six, 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 uh, the Foo Fighters horror movie basically. And, uh, rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins, uh, unfortunately, but, uh, uh, but this movie is, uh, is, is basically just a straight up comedy. It's got horror elements in it, but it's, it's very simple. The, the record producers, uh, the record producer, the, uh, the, uh, label, uh, the Foo Fighters label wants to wants them to come out with a new album soon because he's got money problems, and um, and so like uh, they they try to find the best place for them to record, and it's this old house where some other band got uh, got slaughtered many many years ago, um, uh, and of course Jenna Ortega was in that band. Uh, so she's been in every horror movie in the past Man, few years everywhere. <sighs> yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, she, that we, that's what we, what we're let off, uh, with on this is that this band gets slaughtered and then Foo Fighters, uh, decide they're going to record their new album in this house where 25 years ago, this horrible murder happened. And, uh, so 
they all, they're all trying to figure out where's the best place to record and all this. And most of the band's like, now eh, should we even record here? This isn't even like a great place to record actually, you know, but Dave Grohl of course is like very much like, this has got to be it. This is the place I can feel it and all that. And, uh, of course, uh, exploring the house means that they find this book and the book basically tells Dave Grohl, he has to make this song the way this song is created, this, 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 some sort of demon is telling me he has to make this song and it has to be perfect, uh, you know, or else everybody dies. And so like they're, they're doing this album and it's really just one song. It starts off being like eight or nine minutes. And then, then we're told that it's like an hour or something long. And the band is like, this is an hour long. Who's going to ever listen to this? And Dave Grohl, who's getting even more and more intense throughout the whole thing is basically saying we have to do this because he's he's possessed with a demon it's very very simple it's comedy it's just a it's just it's jokey throughout uh it's i'm not going to tell you it's a good movie even it's got a (laughs) 5.7 on the imdb but i believe that most people will enjoy this movie i think you would enjoy this movie jeremy i think it's that kind of thing uh, where you would just be like, yep, I can get in, I can get along with this. There is some like over the top cartoonish violence in this movie. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, overall, I, I kind of enjoyed this. I, uh, in a, in an odd coincidence, this was on when I turned my television on this morning. Really? And I would, I was like, oh, a horror movie with, at first I thought it was like some sort of music video. I didn't even know this movie existed. And mm-hmm. but I had to finish Eat Man, so I didn't get a chance to watch it this morning. But um, mm-hmm. I will, uh, next time I turn on my TV and it's on, I'll just stay stay with it. <clears throat> I think this is kind of up your alley. Um, uh, just uh, just because it's it's it really is one of those that you can just kind of, I've, I've become a big fan of these, by the way, recently. I've been getting on Tubi and and watching the, trying to find the most horrible horror movies that I can find on Tubi late at night to watch so they don't have to worry about it. Like really literally awesome. just taking your brain out and just yeah. saying, all right, let's, you know, let's just watch this and see where, where it goes. I have seen some of the worst movies I have ever seen in my life i've had to stick there's a one i've one i had to turn off because it wasn't it was just it just oh how did it ever get made <laughs> anyway studio 666 is much better than those tubi movies i'm talking about but i've suddenly become very very like wanted to watch everything that i can get uh you know these uh old horror comedy movies so i love it i love that new streak it sounds like mm-hmm. wrong turn five is something you should add to your list i, don't I know probably should yeah absolutely <laughs> don't watch All those right. in order it's more fun to go out of order <laughs> out of order yeah watch them backwards yeah yes. that'd be good um someone asked me if i watch sharks out of the moon not yet i will i'm sure um <laughs> Uh, our big recommend is Eep Man. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Go for it, man. All right, so this is a 2008 Donnie Yen martial arts film uh, about the man who eventually would go on to train Bruce Lee. This is a real person. He was a real master of... The Wing Chun, Mar- Wing Chun. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to mispronounce a bunch of things in this uh, yep, yep. discussion, and I apologize for my overt Americanness in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> he would eventually train Bruce Lee. He is a real person, and as the movie begins, he has a very nice house. Uh, and I actually, the, the the main great room when you walk in his front door, 
I freaking love that room. Yes. Uh, I, I, it, it looks like it costs a million dollars, but I love it. It's freaking gorgeous. Um, <clears throat> so he's having dinner with his family, his wife and his young child. And um, he is so renowned as a martial artist, not only just in Foshan, where they live, uh, but around China. So this guy rings his doorbell. No, it's not, it's not a doorbell. A uh, guy knocks on his door <laughs> says, hey, I just opened my own martial arts school as a master. I think his name is, I forget his name. Um, <clears throat> and oh, yeah. uh, he says, I would like to challenge you to a fight, in a friendly fight, and, and we'll both keep the results to ourselves. And Eat Man, you know, he's, he's already sort of like over this. Uh, and the impression the movie gives is that masters of different schools of Kung Fu challenging each other was fairly regular. Uh, sometimes it would be in public and sometimes it would be in private and the results would be kept hidden. But he doesn't want to do this, really. He knows he's going to beat this guy's ass. His wife doesn't want him to do it. For most of the movie, she's very upset whenever he has to go duel. Um, mm -hmm. But she's like, okay. So she takes the son out of the room and kicks everybody else out and he beats this guy's ass. But unfortunately, there's a coincidental teenager in a tree chasing a kite. <laughs> who happens to look through the window and see this new master get his ass beat by Eat Man. So then he goes to town and tells everybody, Eat Man, kick this guy's ass. That gets back to the new master, who then goes to, I believe it's a restaurant that Eat Man is at, and wants justice. He's like, hey, you sullied my name. Of course, Eat Man didn't say anything. He kept his word. All of this gets disrupted when five strangers come to town and start challenging all the local masters uh, and this guy's ma main guy's name is Jin, I believe. Um, and he's great. I love his character. Yeah. He's just a straight up bully asshole with insecurity, but mm. he's awesome at Kung Fu. So he actually just consecutively just starts beating all of the master's asses in town. And uh, then he is told by an old man, you haven't done shit till you beat the best. And he's like, well, who's the best? And the guy's like, ape man. Which is kind of a dick move, if you ask me, um, <laughs> because Eat Man, you know, I would think the whole town knows he doesn't really like this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But this is probably my second favorite fight in the movie uh, when Jin comes to challenge uh, Eat Man in Eat Man's front room that I love with all the vases mm -hmm. and pretty things. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, reluctantly, Eat Man accepts, and the four other cronies are just left to watch, and he beats this guy's ass. Uh, he guy pulls out a sword eat man pulls out a feather duster uh and still beats his ass it's a very <laughs> elegant defensive eat man is not aggressive in his kung fu style um and he still beats this guy's ass and uh <clears throat> and then we get kind of a weird shift that at first seems out of place uh it's almost like a cutscene. Eat Man lost his house when the Japanese soldiers came to China and started to rule. Uh, and so it jumps forward in time. But I actually think ultimately that's important uh, to frame why he does what he does the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. um, so he's in poverty now with his wife and child. And he decides, I'm strong enough. I can go work. I'm not sure why he took a while to realize that, uh, but he does, yeah. and he goes to work in what I think is some kind of a coal mine, coal, shoveling coal thing, um, and there are Japanese soldiers that show up along with this, like, traitorous interpreter guy from Foshan. Yeah. Um, he was the cop, right? He was the, he played the cop earlier. Yes. Yeah. And um, 
so they're basically like, hey, the general wants to see some of your good Chinese kung fu. Uh, you know, any for every man you beat, you'll get a bag of rice. Um, and uh, we see a few of these fights in this, I guess it's a dojo. Uh, and these guys are pretty good, the Japanese kung fu guys that came with the general. But one of the Chinese guys beats them, um, and then he's killed. And that's pretty unfair, like, sportsmanship-wise. So um, <clears throat> when Eat Man hears about this, he's incensed. He's done. He's he's just, I mean, I can't imagine living under, you know, a foreign army's rule in, in abject poverty where we're, he's drinking rice water for his mm-hmm. meal. Um, yeah. But he snaps, and he goes in uh, and tells the general, I want to fight 10 men, every single man you've got. And it, depending on the translation you watched, uh, he repeats himself, but the second time he says, I want to beat 10 men instead of mm-hmm. fight 10 men. Right. Um, and this is a brutal fight. He is hurting these men intentionally um, mm-hmm. and badly. And I cackle through this entire fight. But the yeah. biggest laugh is that last dude who's in mm-hmm. the man's face and takes Forty lightning punches mm. to the chest and ends up on his back, knocked out cold. Mm-hmm. The phantom punch thing is just—it's—it happens in that fight with Jin in Eat Man's house, and it happens again in this fight where he just throws so many punches so fast that it feels inhuman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just—I think my gut reaction to really good kung fu is always going to be laughter. I'm not yeah. entirely sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> So uh, he doesn't take 10 bags of rice. He takes the one bloody bag of rice from the guy they killed, making a statement, and off he goes. Well, the general gets tired of waiting for Eat Man to come back and fight again. He really liked Eat Man's kung fu. Yeah. And it kind of gets uh, uh, do this or else-ish at this point. Uh, he, he tells the you know, Benedict Arnold interpreter guy, go find him. And that guy's like, I don't know where he is. He gets his ass beat. Still goes and finds him, um, <clears throat> followed up by Japanese soldiers who were following him, and Eat Man beats those guys' ass, so they have to leave now. They have to flee, because now they've just beaten up the general's men. There's also this whole subplot where a friend of Eat Man has opened a cotton mill, and even after the Japanese uh, takeover, it's one of the few businesses that's still alive. Um, and maybe the only true comedic bit of this movie mm-hmm. is the three amigos section yeah. where he somehow in what feels like a week teaches Kung yeah. Fu to every person who works at the cotton mill. Mm-hmm. And so when Jin and the bullies come to collect their fee, they're just basically doing, you know, regular old organized crime stuff, taxing the local businesses for protection. They fight back and surprisingly beat some ass. Um, mm-hmm. until it pisses Jin and his four buddies off. Actually, at this point, he's got like 12 or 20 buddies, mm-hmm. including a uh, tree kite guy from the beginning. Yeah, tree kite guy. And there's a great moment where a fist comes out of nowhere and blasts a dude's face, and then you cut back, and it's Eat Man is showing up at the cotton mill. Uh, and it's essentially one versus 20. Um, the IMDb says, and I'm not sure I buy this, but... It says that Eat Man is only struck twice in the entire film, both times in the final fight with the general. I don't know how you're defining strike, but I do know that he's almost never touched by any mm-hmm. opponent throughout this movie. And I love it. Like, I love the raid kitchen fight because I, you sincerely feel like either man could win here. They both mm. 
deals some serious blows. But for mm-hmm. the most part, Eat Man is Superman. And I love it. I can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that big old ass beating, the general now knows Eat Man is tied to the cotton mill, basically sets up this thing where Eat Man and him are going to fight eventually. Eat Man challenges him to a fight in the public. Japanese Kung Fu versus Chinese Kung Fu once and for all. There's another little weird subplot with his friend seemingly kidnapping his wife and kid, but then she cries and he turns around so that she can see the fight. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why he tied her up, except that maybe she was trying to jump out of the car. That, and that, I think that's, that's it. Her. Yeah, yeah um, I think that's it. So it sets up a fight with a general. I bet you can't guess who won. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really cool fight. Uh, I still think the 10 on one is my favorite scene in the entire film. Yeah. Uh, but the final fight is certainly not a letdown. Um, and uh, that's Eat Man 1. There will be others <laughs> in the future that will have diminishing returns of quality. Um, but Chris, what were your thoughts this time through Eat Man? You touched on one of the things, the one of the top things that I love about this movie is that there's never a moment in this where Eat Man, who, we've, who the movie has uh, suggested is the best fighter, loses a fight somewhere like there's no situation where it's like oh the stakes are dire and he and he and he lost a fight and now he's got to build himself back up so that he can beat this guy at the end and everything um because those those type of things always typically ring false to me when you have Mm -hmm. this here is this ultimate badass and then suddenly like especially in most of your you know, crime Lord movies where like the, you know, the, the badass is going through and wasting all the henchmen and everything. And then he finally gets to the crime Lord who we haven't seen fight once the entire movie. And then like, suddenly he's hanging toe to toe with the, the badass. And I'm like, no, 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 there's no way. And so this is one of those things where I was like, I was like, I was glad that every fight going in, I could was reasonably sure that he was going to win each one of them, even the ones they were trying to hype a right. bit. Like they weren't, they, like there's no, there's no thought that he's going to lose there. So um, that's that is one of the the number one things I like. This this movie, you brought up also the the how this movie's plot is structured. It's very it's very strange how this yeah this movie is structured because you at first you're thinking, Oh, this is going to be about rival martial arts schools because the guy shows up for a friendly fight. He gets his ass beat. And as long as nobody says anything about it, we're good. But then there's the one guy who, who witnessed it through the window looking for his kite and he tells everybody. And I thought that, you know, this was going to be like, how dare you tell people that you beat me in this fight and everything. And it kind of like, it kind of gets there, but it's never like, that's never a big deal. Um, that's resolved in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Um, and I was just sitting there thinking that was, this is where you, I was, but I was like, if it's going to go this way, then how does, how does, how does the movie, uh, have a foundation? Because we already know eat man is way better than this dude. So yeah. this dude and his disciples aren't going to be able to beat him. Like, I don't know, like maybe they, you know, thought that it'll be, well, of course he didn't have, that's the thing. The whole thing, eat man doesn't have a school. He's just by himself right. with his family the whole time. People keep asking him to create a school yep. and he never does it. Um, 
so yeah, I thought it was kind of going to be about that. And then, you know, you see the gang show up and you're like, oh, okay. So it's going to be about this now. And then he beats that guy pretty quickly. And you're like, oh, so, and then, and then they had the, okay. So there's real world events going on that happen here where, uh, the Japanese attack and, uh, they are, they're occupying China and all that. I get that. All right. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I love these, I love these little things in here. I love the fact that when he's working at that coal, that coal factory or whatever it is, yeah, that his buddy sees that he, he's, uh, stashing food away for his family. And the, the guy's like, here, I'm not going to be able to finish this anyway, even though, you know, he's probably super yeah. hungry yeah um he's like i'm not gonna be able to finish the rest of this anyway gives him that half a roll or whatever it is actually and i made a note about this that is a steaming hot baked potato that he's holding oh, in his it? hand there's actually a shot where there's steam coming off of it mm. and i wrote i wrote down that would fucking burn your hands like <laughs> if it was kind of lukewarm yeah but not like steaming hot that would hurt mm -hmm. anyway <clears throat> But yeah, I also love that. Yeah, the 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 thing about the the ten the ten man fight and and that lightning punch thing is that we see a preview of that in the first fight because yep. the guys, you know, Eat Man is taking it easy on the other dude, and and once he's got the advantage on him, he does that thing, but above his head, yeah. he's like, "All right, this is what I would do if this were yeah. real," and, <laughs> and and and, uh, and then and then moves on. But then later on, when we actually see those blows strike, yes, it is that I think I think laughter is appropriate. I feel the same way. Uh, when you brought it, you know, you brought up the raid and you brought, bring up that last fight and that, uh, th that fight in the kitchen is, you know, it's like going a certain way. And then once he makes a, once he makes that slash, yeah, you're just like, you're, you realize how devastating that is. I yeah. don't know what it is. Like the movie is a magic trick to me. I could never create a fight like this ever. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Like, uh, to make it where it's like, okay, there it's kind of even, it's kind of even. And how do I make it known to the audience that something is, has changed here and they do it so well. Yeah. So yeah, this is the same way here. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, all these guys are fighting and then like, Oh, now he's like, he's using that thing. He's using that lightning punch thing, you know, you better get the fuck out at that point when he does that. <laughs> Whatever he rolls up his sleeves, you better look the fuck out. Cause he's done fucking around. I, mm -hmm. I made a note here about the one versus 10 and about how much his brutality is earned. And then I wrote, I invite you to watch the scene three times once for mm -hmm. the awesome choreography, once for Eeps finally being brutal and once for paying attention to how much he hates doing it mm -hmm. uh, because there's so much going on. That it could just be an awesome fight scene and it, it would probably still be the best scene in the movie, but the, the him finally being brutal but the look on his face is like i know i can do this i'm doing this for a morally good reason but i don't like doing this and it's just got layers whereas like my my entryway into this kind of movie was iron monkey which is all silly and even when the fights are brutal it's cartoon brutality and in mm -hmm. this movie it feels you can feel some of these punches and kicks um yeah i just i freaking i freaking love it i love the little kid on the bike in the opening that second fight where he's fighting Jin, and then a little kid comes in on the tricycle and they both just stop and watch as the kid comes through them and says mom says don't break anything and then the kid goes it felt like an edward uh <laughs> it felt like a what not edward uh it felt like a edgar wright moment almost like a little comedic drop pause in the middle of that whole fight thing 
Um, mm-hmm. There's just so many little beats and moments that I really like. Um, we, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if we've seen martial arts film freak in our comments before, but he came here for this one for obvious reasons. And he's awesome. been writing some comments here. And, uh, one of them is there's a great YouTube video comparing all eat man movies to different Superman stories. Um, yeah, that, I mean, it. I mean, it very much is like that. This guy is perfect. He can't get beat. He's uh, and 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 barely ever, uh, uh, like, yeah, barely ever even gets hit. That's how good he is. Uh, and uh, and I would I would like to see that video. He also says Donnie Yen trained with Eat Man's son for several months before he had never trained in Wing Chun specifically. Yeah, and um, he's stealing my thunder because that was one of my notes that oh, he actually, no. <laughs> he, he, Donnie Yen is proficient in this style and learned it from Eat Man's own son. Um, mm-hmm. And Eat Man would go on in real life to open a school in that very cotton mill um, and teach. Uh, I saw a stat that said there are over, no, it's at the end of the movie. It says there's over 2 million people who mm-hmm. have, who are in his school's lineage. Um, hey, Chris, I'm the guy that mailed you all those Kung Fu movies. I, I, had, a, I had a feeling that it was him. Yes, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. I didn't want to say out loud uh, since he's not using his real name. So, uh, uh, yes, thank you for the Kung Fu movies. I have watched a couple of them, but I have not been able to get through the whole stack yet. Uh, awesome. Probably probably will uh, at some point. I, have a, I am curious, and maybe he'll know the answer, but I was curious about the scene where the general goes to um, eat in jail. And and there's no translator, but the general has needed that Benedict Arnold translator or appeared to. Yeah. So is this movie saying he always knew? And I'm ignorant. I think they're speaking both Mandarin and Cantonese at points during this movie. The, yeah, um, I think they are. But did he know one or both of those languages all along and was pretending to need the translate? Cause when he, he speaks to eat man, I wasn't expecting a response, but then eat man replies and totally understood what was said to him. And I was like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I got the sense that it was the, that scene was, I know what you're saying and I know, and mm. you know what I'm saying. And I see. we, and, it, you know, uh, without even being able to translate because, you know, I know that you want to beat my ass. I know that you want to show that Japanese Kung Fu is better. You know that I'm not going to accept any, you know, any kind of like bargain with you or anything, you know, we're just going to, you know, we're going to beat ass and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let everything else like, uh, settle through that. So, uh, that's what I got from it, but it also okay. could just be a mistake. Yeah, like they forgot that they needed a translator and they just yeah eh. i mean you i like that interpretation mm-hmm. though that they they understood each other without understanding the language they understood mm-hmm. the message uh yeah that's almost too cool i'm just gonna believe that <laughs> yeah <clears throat> i think i think so i mean yeah that's way that's what i choose to believe is that, that it just doesn't matter we know what each other wants so uh, it doesn't matter what language we're speaking. We know what he, well, we, we understand each other. It's really kind of amazing to think about it that way. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, All right. uh, any further thoughts before we move into the double feature? Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Okay. There's so many martial arts movies and i'm sorry i'm not going to pair this up with another martial arts movie i think that's too easy too lazy mm-hmm. um i don't know if anybody's going to be happy about my double feature though 
a lot of this movie reminds me of Braveheart. Oh, interesting. Um, mainly because you have, you know, you have England is is basically dictating what Scotland uh, is doing. They're occupying Scotland all the way through. Hmm. You have a man at the beginning, William Wallace, who does not want to fight, who does not want to uh, do any of this. He, he's kind of brought into it by the fact that people are dying and and uh, and uh, he loses his wife. Obviously, ultimately, is what uh, what uh, tell makes him motivated of course a lot of braveheart is a bunch of bullshit too um, <laughs> well um, i think a lot of uh, i think a lot of eat man is bullshit too you never fought that general yeah 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 um and then so then it he becomes this mythical kind of character throughout the whole movie where you know he's this ultimate sort of fighter now once you start getting into giant battles with thousands of extras and all that, yes, it's not very eat manish at all. Uh, but, um, but yes, I am glad martial arts film freak is here because maybe he's got a better double feature and it says two great double features on Bach for unstoppable protagonist. Yes, awesome. absolutely. <clears throat> uh, also both revolutionized martial arts cinema in the two thousands and heroes of the East. I have never seen this because it's Chinese versus Japanese martial arts. So yeah, yeah, there you go. Those would be really good ones. Uh, obviously I've seen a couple um, of people mention this, uh, Donnie Ann will be in the new John wick, John wick four. And I'm quite mm -hmm. excited to see what he does there. Uh, I think Braveheart is an awesome pick, uh, because we've given ourselves so much leeway to define why we're choosing a double feature. Once you got into that, that made perfect sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. and again, the double feature, doesn't have to have every beat the same, um, but I, I like that. A guy who doesn't want to fight in an occupied country finally fights and kicks some ass. And even supposedly. its ending, even the bo both movies' endings end in essentially what is the same place, a public square where someone yeah. is supposed to be humiliated and dies and well <laughs> dies they, they, they try to they try to make it that <laughs> her buddy patrick texted me and said <laughs> you know said something like poochie went on to his own planet where he was miraculously resuscitated or whatever like it's it's he was like he shot and he falls dramatically from that thing and you're like and and we're like well yeah but there's like three other movies after this where he, and and he, and he and he went on to train bruce lee so what are you what are you trying to say here and uh and uh but the movie's like you don't know that yet you don't know that and, yeah and then you see then you see him in the back of the truck and he's like oh i'm so wounded but you know i love how um, his wife has her hand on his bullet hole and no one has treated his wound at right, all right no put a gauze or a shirt or anything yeah. it's just hey you need to get the truck out. right now and bleed out out as we drive to hong kong right 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 so um anyway yeah um I, I was, those those are the things i was thinking about yeah the, the movies themselves have a lot of major differences obviously but like there's a lot of like crazy similar things in it yeah um, no, that's that's awesome pick <clears throat> so um all right now now next week homework next week's homework now, I hope that you guys can find this movie. I looked up on Real Good, and it looks like you can find it on Showtime, and you can find it. I think you can rent it. Um, so it's not one of these where you can find it on every streaming service, unfortunately. And, man, there's so many movies I think of that are just great. Yeah. And, like, the streaming is not 
big on it. And I'm sorry about that guys, but find the 1974, the taking of Pelham one, two, three. Um, the, uh, the 1974 version has Walter Matthau has Robert Shaw, um, tying into the sting earlier. Is. Um, uh, but, uh, Walter Matthau plays a guy who works for the, for the New York subway. And on a day where he's just showing people around, uh, some Robert Shaw and his gang decide to like hijack a train and they want money or they start killing hostages. And this is just gritty 1974 New York, but it's got a lot of humor in it too. A lot of humor. Like you would never expect this gritty 1974 New York movie to have, but it does. Um, so uh, find the 1974 version. The Denzel Washington version was pretty good. The John Travolta Denzel Washington one. Pretty it's good. Tony movie. Scott, right? Yeah, Tony Scott. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> not not bad, but this is not the one that I'm I'm asking you to watch. It's the 1974 mm-hmm. version. Uh Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw. Uh that is next week. Um, so um so yeah, I, My, I can't uh, wait to talk about this. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. I haven't. In another weird coincidence, it came on yesterday, and I was like, oh, I know I want to see this eventually, but I moved on to something else. Uh, mm-hmm. My Google says it's also on Paramount Plus. So, mm-hmm. uh, and if you have a premium subscription, which basically means you've added Showtime to your Hulu or Roku or Amazon, uh, then mm-hmm. you can watch it uh, in those places as well. I'm looking forward to this. Um, I like the diversity. And, and uh, Jonathan, uh, who's uh, who's working behind the scenes today, says. Uh, he says that uh, the taking of Pelham 1974 is my top five of all time. So wow, it's it is a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes with forty three reviews. It is a reviews. great movie. I don't think it gets talked about enough from all those movies in the 70s where things were getting grittier and like mm. more, you know, because they didn't have to worry about the the Hayes Code anymore and all that. Like, uh, you know, you you get your usual like oh taxi driver and uh, the Nashville and blah blah blah. It's like those are the movies that you hear about most of the time. And Godfather and uh, taking a Pelham has gotten. I think it. I mean, it's it's gotten a lot of like love over the years. It's not like nobody ever talks about this movie or anything, but uh, it it does seem like it uh, it doesn't get enough love. So we're gonna t- talk about that one next week. So excellent excellent homework looking forward to that and uh we got some time for some questions how about we dive into that yeah let's do some questions question question i got something to say i want the truth i am listening what is the worst food you've seen someone tuck into at the cinema that feels like it's written by a british person uh Uh, this, <laughs> it even says this question brought to you by my horrified friend who just witnessed someone pull out a portion of fish and chips out of their bag Ian? and stumble the whole screening with grease and vinegar smells. I'd have not um, heard, heard the phrase tuck into at, um, that, that, <laughs> that's un-American. <clears throat> uh, that's what they're doing though. They're tucking in the I guess. stuff, I guess. uh, smuggling, they're smuggling the stuff in, um, over the years as an usher, I stumbled on a lot of like, you know, things. I don't think I had anything that was just, just downright like, huh, weird. They have a steak dinner and salad in here. I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> um, but, um, but like I, I saw, I think I've seen Chinese food before people bringing in Chinese food. Um, uh, 
but most of the stuff that you see that's like unusual is usually not food. Like I, the, I remember being shocked, shocked. I say <laughs> when I went to go into Mrs. Doubtfire, it was a sold out Mrs. Doubtfire that just emptied out and I had to go clean it. And there was like eight beer bottles on the front row, just all lined up on the floor. And I was like, you sit guys are sitting in the front row, drinking beer, watching Mrs. Doubtfire. I, that's really interesting to me. But the, um, the, this, this just allows me to tell the, the, the grossest stuff that I've ever run across was when we had, um, the movie eight seconds, the Luke Perry rodeo bull riding movie. Um, when it came to my small town theater in Franklin, uh, Tennessee, uh, it drew, a, it drew quite the crowd. I mean, we're not, you're, you know, this movie did not do like amazing nationally, but at my theater it sold out all the time, eight seconds. Hmm. And I had to go in and clean those theaters afterwards. And, uh, you can only imagine how much tobacco that I tobacco spit that I ran into uh going through there i had i was those times i had to had to cut back the gag reflex a little bit that so is a, the, one of the worst smells on the planet it is. Mm -hmm. yeah oh man um you know we did have when I, I was not a gm for a super long time uh but uh maybe a couple years but we did have uh one rowdy audience uh where somebody in the back threw a beer bottle mm -hmm. from the back up to the front oh, oh god and i this is the only time I ever did this. I, I shut the movie off uh, <laughs> and went into the auditorium and did my whole self-righteous Mr. Smith goes to Washington <laughs> speech. And I, I said, Those I will best. not start this movie again until you guys tell me who did that. And like five people in the back corner just turned and pointed at the guy. Yeah. Uh, and I escorted him out. And uh, But uh, my actual answer to this um, that just was I was reminded by that when you said beer bottles. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh shelled peanuts where they just throw the shells on the floor like yeah, the, the yeah. steakhouse yeah um and then the weirdest one uh was two empty cans of campbell's soup um, oh okay and yeah. i assume they ate it cold because there's not really a good way to heat that up in the container because it's no metal. no and my wife will occasionally eat a chicken noodle soup cold out of the can which disgusts me um yeah. uh, but that's probably not. the weirdest one that i've seen mm -hmm. Um, um in, in the comments we got anything yeah i got a few here uh frack creek Ooh, this question was on discord i used to used to work in a theater and i saw someone bring in spaghetti and meatballs and a pouch of foil <laughs> wow wow i'm just asking to stay in your clothes when you do that yeah objective sid says went to ghostbusters as a kid with my late aunt and since it was around dinner time she brought in and made sure we ate chicken parmesan wow good god <laughs> man that's that's freaking crazy that's absurd oh, um man. and and, and jc asked me chris how did you pronounce foil i said foil is that wrong no foil 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 now now no, the word has lost all meaning <clears throat> it has it has, uh, it has lost let's move on uh okay what the farthest into a film you were loving that a film did something to make you hate it <clears throat> um fairly recently dr sleep was this mm. kind of movie for me i uh loved 
probably three quarters of this movie. I thought it was like just atmospheric, beautiful Rebecca Ferguson's performance. I loved everything about this movie. And then they were like, let's tie this shit back into the shining and like have everybody have those shining feels. They mm. go back to the, the hotel overlook and have to recreate all that shining stuff. And I'm like, man, guys, you had me. You had me. I had this whole movie. I was like, man, I love everything about this. It's so different. It's kind of tied in the shining, but it's not totally the shining. And now you've made it the shining too. And I don't like it anymore. I can't, I don't, don't like this movie anymore. Um, I hate when that happens. I mean, passengers mm -hmm. famously did this to me. I think signs well, the ending of signs undoes all the goodwill it built up in the first two thirds for me. Mm -hmm. But I also just remembered uh, Eyes Wide Shut is probably the most famous example of this. So I walked out of that going, I was on that journey. I was, I was with him. He was making some weird choices, but I was interested in that journey. And then to me, I'm on an island. The end kind of just flicks all that away and says, ah, screw it. Let's go have sex. Uh, and there's probably a, a deeper meaning that I miss, but I don't care because it, it completely killed that movie for me. <clears throat> that was a, not that this has anything to do with the question, but I saw a, a thing that uh, yesterday on Twitter about Eyes Wide Shut was just kind of trending for some reason. Oh, interesting. And, uh, and uh, there was somebody who had put on a, showed like the Tom Cruise walk through London was uh, like him on a, treadmill while the images you had the rear view projection or whatever okay yeah uh on it i was just like oh i never thought of it that way i never thought of it as as him do i thought it was always like a set or something like that they were on pinewood studios yeah. or something i don't yeah. know um but uh anyway um uh objective sid says i have i have quit films but mostly books in which they kill animals yeah that's it's kind of tough uh uh never read where the red fern grows by the way because you'll have read the whole book and then <laughs> then you'll have to quit when it's like they get to the worst part uh yeah. but uh josh zero says literally all the way to the last second of paranormal activity the first one such a creepy new vibe and then at la the last second jump scare with a twisted demonic face for no reason yeah absolutely i hate that shit too <laughs> um uh then uh castro says still upset over that mass death scene and spontaneous i'm sure i could think of something else but it's not coming to me yet uh yeah i can see that um i see um, one that you connect with uh I, do you i don't know objective says yeah yeah exactly um i had i've read that book twice as a kid no just uh, that's probably the first time i ever cried at anything uh you know like reading or watching movies whatever i was just like like but you set up these dogs and they're awesome and they're why did you do that <laughs> um so um that reminds uh, me of the, the friends episode where phoebe uh, they're watching old yeller, but Phoebe's oh, mom always shit. turned it off before the end. And so yeah. she's watching. She's like, Hey, where are you going with that rifle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we have time for one more. Um, All right. what two actors who were nominated or won for best actor, or I'm going to add best supporting in the same year. Okay. Would you, would you like to have seen switch roles? And, uh, I think this is an amazing question that required some research, but the example is Gene Hackman and Jack Nicholson with Unforgiven and a few good men that is a very interesting take 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I had, I went through the Oscars.org site and looked at a bunch of like different, uh, years and it's weird how, how very few, um, you could switch or at least feel like you could switch and, and yeah. it would be, and the best one I could come up with, I think this would be interesting. Uh, Robert Forster playing the Burt Reynolds role in Boogie Nights and Burt Reynolds playing the Robert Forster role in Jackie Brown. Huh. Um, um, uh, and, and, you know, you, I think Burt Reynolds obviously is going to be way different than Forster is in Jackie Brown, but I'm wondering if Tarantino hmm. could shape that in some way where he's more, I don't know. I think Forster is perfect for Boogie Nights. I think he would have drilled that that Jack Horner role. Yeah. Uh yeah. I think he would have gotten and drilled it. Yeah, boom. Um he would have <laughs> drilled it. But I'm not sure about Burt Reynolds. I but I think he's of the same age uh what where Quentin Tarantino was going for on that. Uh and uh and I think he would have been able to nail it. I think if Tarantino just said, look, you know, this is a, this is, I think he would have been able to shape that, that performance. And, mm. uh, Burt Reynolds would have gone along. He should, he may probably would have gone along with it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, don't know if Burt Reynolds was notoriously difficult or, yeah. or anything like that. I don't know if that was true, but I think that would be a good one. Yeah. I also think Burt Reynolds said something. I feel like about maybe regretting that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, um, my answer would be, uh, and this is the reason that I changed the question to allow supporting actor. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Adams uh, were both in uh, American Hustle, a David O. Mm -hmm. Russell film. Yep. Uh, and I'm not a big David O. Russell fan, personally, um, mm -hmm. as a person. Um, right. <clears throat> but this is a movie that I've seen several times, and, and Amy Adams plays Christian Bale's lover and con partner, and Jennifer Lawrence plays Christian Bale's wife and mother well, he adopted the child. He didn't. Mm -hmm. It's not his child. Anyway, um, and Jennifer Lawrence's character is erratic and drunk and impulsive. And Amy Adams' character is sexy and uh, intentional and whip smart. And I think they could both play the other one's role in a heartbeat. Yeah. <clears throat> and it might even be better that they switch roles in that, mm. too. Uh, thinking about that that movie, uh, I just think of that scene where she's walking around her apartment with a drink, uh, singing "Live and Let Die" to her kid mm -hmm. on the couch, and mm -hmm. I see Amy Adams doing that perfectly. I just think mm -hmm. it would work. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Uh, there's a, a not real one in the comments, uh, <laughs> Julia Roberts and Kathy Bates uh, switching in Misery and Pretty Woman. <laughs> that would be funny for sure. It would be hilarious. Um. This, unfortunately, one this is one of those full frontal. Yep, yep, yep. Um, unfortunately, one of the uh, this is one of those questions that's going to be hard for the commenters to come up with because they're going to have to do the same research on the fly. That yeah, we we got a, a like you know lots of time to do. So yeah. anyway, um, <clears throat> that's a good question though. Uh, yeah, it, is. Uh, it made me go through a bunch of Oscar history and go, wow, did that guy really get nominated for that movie? Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for, uh, this week. Once again, thank you guys so much for, uh, coming out to comment on uh, YouTube and Twitch, um, and, uh, you know, uh, making it lively. I was worried there for a second, but, but you guys came through, you came a lot of, a lot of, a lot of comments came in, uh, mm -hmm. on that is so, uh, thank you so much for, for coming out. 
Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Next week is the taking of Pelham 123 from 1974. Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw, do not see the wrong one. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we will see you next time. Goodbye. My phone's ringing. It's unprofessional. Come on. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the Cinemasins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or Cinemasins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. I know the answer now, um, but what does it say that this morning I couldn't remember if Aquaman 2 had come out yet or not? Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Like I, I mean, saw, I was scrolling through Twitter, I saw a picture of Aquaman, and I was like, yeah, how, how did that movie do with the box up? That movie hasn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. I thought that movie had already come out. Maybe yeah, it's because it's, they pushed it. It's your general, general apathy towards all these titles. Why do I have more fatigue than the average person? Like, it seems like everybody's loving Black Panther Wakanda forever. Mm -hmm. And I loved Black Panther, but mm -hmm. I just, I'm like, I'll see it at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I have no urgency anymore, even if I end up enjoying them. But I still haven't seen Eternals. I have negative urgency about that movie. And I love Chloe Zhao. And the Eternals is not good. <laughs> <laughs> I was going on Twitter. And the apologists were all out for this latest versions of all the Marvel movies, you know, lumping oh. in Doctor Strange, Thor, Wakanda Forever, Eternals. And it was like, you know, one was like, um, what has this phase of Marvel been about? It's been about dealing with grief. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I feel like this is i felt like this since high school and maybe i'm just a philistine or something i don't know what do you want to call me mm. but i do not think that just because some movie has some sort of deeper meaning somewhere means that its presentation and its overall entertainment value is good because of it yeah and you know the there was a another tweet where somebody said something about like they hated thor love and thunder because it was too jokey or something or whatever. I don't know what it was. I don't remember what the criticism was. But somebody who apparently has that same idea about like these movies being about grief and everything or whatever wrote a reply that said, tell me, tell me you don't know anything about Thor Love and Thunder without telling me that, you know, some bullshit like that. And I was just. I'm just like, look, just because someone doesn't find the movie great because you found some sort of weird meaning in it or whatever, just because they have that meaning broadcast to you in that movie does not make that movie great. I don't know. I don't understand it. Thor Love and Thunder is objectively terrible. I... I I did... I, I was surprised. I had not seen it. I had not seen any... I had not seen any reviews on it or anything. I managed to completely escape anything about that movie other than the trailers. And and then I finally watched it 
last week without any hype and just said, wow, I'm, I love, I love Taika Waititi and I like that he wants to take this in a jokey direction. He did that with Ragnarok, but he's like pushed it even further in this one. Yeah. It's like, man, dude. Even I would not have gone this far jokey with this. Like, this is, I mean, I I've, I still want to see that Lord and Miller solo movie. Yeah. I think that would have been funnier than this, probably. But this is like just a lot of, like, just a lot of quirkiness. Just a lot of, like, you know, they go into, a, a like, a hall of gods where Zeus, played by Russell Crowe, is, uh, is you know, uh, presiding over it. And they go into this like, you know, you know, it's like they're just a pun. It's, it's it's the same thing you've seen with every sci-fi movie, like this giant hall where everybody's got everybody stacked on top of each other for some reason, which I don't get. Um, and they walk past. They walk past this god that is that's bow. It's bow. It, it's the dumpling. And and there and it's like oh yeah there's bow right there and it's like you know it's it's that what? type it's that type of thing like like and, and and you know we all know that it's the cynical part of us is like yeah that's the Disney tie-in marketing bullshit that they put in everything the other part of me is like there's a a bow god <laughs> that's I haven't seen this movie yet uh, due to the previously mentioned uh, lack of enthusiasm, but you're not making it go any higher up my list. I heard, I have heard this, by the way. I have not escaped uh, news about this movie. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that what's extra weird is all the joking doesn't work with what Christian Bale is trying to do. No. Um, and like he's doing a really serious. I, I hear he's good in it, but he's doing a, a fairly serious take. And then the rest of the movie is just dropping joke bombs all around. That's exactly. It's a. It's a. I mean, yes, the movie is about grief, but and it may be even dealing with grief, but it's not dealing with it in a way that's like conducive to healing. I don't think. Yeah, that's like saying. Well, no, I'm gonna stick my foot in my mouth if I try and make a comparison here. Yeah, probably. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I feel personally, I feel like the MCU uh, peaked between the first Avengers movie and Avengers Endgame. That was really when I enjoyed most of those movies. Uh, and most everything since Endgame, it's just, I'm having a hard time caring. I'm even, mm -hmm. even the Ten Rings, which there are things about it that I think are really good. It, it doesn't, I didn't connect to it um, as much as I hoped to. And, and that's still the class of the new ones, I think. Yeah. Well, that's what a lot of people think. I guess the new Guardians has a chance to make me happy. Well, I don't know. Um, yeah. The, that, the, the, this movie, too, Thor Love and Thunder, has got like a cameo from the Guardians that show up, and it's like, uh, and then, you know, they're before, before just when you're like, oh, it'd be kind of cool if they're kind of in this movie throughout, like they, they're gone. So <laughs> it's, oh. it's kind of, hmm. eh, whatever. All right. Well, what is the next one then? Is it, is it Guardians 3? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, look it up. Uh, MC. Ant Man. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Ant Man 3. Ant Man. And, and I bet that's going to be about dealing with grief. And, it probably um, is about dealing with grief, yeah. 
Well, the trailer for the Ant-Man movie looks like it's entirely set in the quantum realm, and the quantum realm looks like a colorful Tim Burton fever dream, mm-hmm. and it looks fake as hell. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. So everybody who saw the trailer, it's not the same trailer that's online that ran in front of a movie a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. So that people were at that movie, got to see it. Because I saw like some cell phone film oh, version yeah. of that trailer, and it was way different. Uh, and that trailer made the movie look cool to me. The one they put up online made the movie look kind of lame to me. So mm. probably going to end up somewhere in the middle. Let me just tell you right now, Secret Invasion uh, and the Secret Wars movie, I'm already over it. Because I know mm-hmm. what happens in the comics. And this movie, these movies are just going to be Mission Impossible style mask removal, one after another, oh, after no. another, after another, after oh, another. Because no. the whole point of that is people impersonating people. And I've seen headlines that are rumors that like Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson are going to be in these mo- in that movie. And of course, she's dead. Yeah. He's dead. So it's going to be... Cylons or whoever the fuck they are impersonating them. Cylons. I'm already over it. I'm already over it. <laughs> Cylons. Yeah, it's funny. I, I remember. Uh, uh, was it what? What movie was? Was it Doctor Strange or one of the one of the movies we send? Somebody sent you a a screen cap of it on Twitter and uh, yeah. and said that this was all this is all for for them to do the multiverse isn't it or whatever this is before they even did multiverse movies right uh which was you know i i, I love when we're like occasionally prescient uh, <laughs> it does it does occasionally happen yeah. yeah like the the sin we wrote about uh hugh jackman should be in the music man and then yeah. like a year and a half later he's announced <laughs> to be in the music man on broadway yeah and then and there was that uh <laughs> the, the minor one was the one where it was like we said like some impossible thing like this terrible soccer team beating this <laughs> great soccer team and then it happened like two months later that exact <laughs> thing yeah that's awesome because mm-hmm. you, i think it was you who did the research to like i gotta find a really terrible soccer team that mm-hmm. would never beat these guys and then it freaking happened yeah yeah <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, that was one that I was a, I was I was I was going with Mike to a soccer game, one of the Nashville uh, SC games, and uh, brought that up, and he found it on Reddit. They were talking about it on Reddit. <laughs> it was like that's kind awesome. of fun. Yeah, that's awesome.